Amen. Amen. Appreciate that good public prayer. And I ask that you continue praying for me in a silent way as we um, go into the message this morning. I, I will say this, as you turn to Genesis, the 13th chapter, um, it is indeed a uh, blessing to be able to worship in a simple way. Um, I was recently had a friend who attended at, uh, at Zion Church, and she, um, a mutual friend actually, Bill and I was uh, Sarah Stewart, she had after the services, she said uh, something to the effect that, uh, you know, I can just almost envision the way they worshiped in the first century, that it would be like this. And, you know, that's our goal, isn't it? That's why we're called, you know, sometimes people misunderstand primitive. You know, uh, I try to explain to them that we don't walk around with clubs dragging our women by the hair and wearing loincloths. That's not what primitive means, okay? that's uh, That wouldn't work very well in my household anyway. I don't know about yours, but... Uh, uh, it might work the other way around, actually. I might be the one being drugged. But anyway, that's uh, another story. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but what it means is original and going back to the, the way the pattern set forth in the first century in the New Testament uh, as the first century church was formed. So, uh, so I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Uh, as I said, um, be in prayer for me uh, because I do hope I hope to preach. Elder Buddy Abernathy once I had him preaching for me, and I said, "Brother Buddy, are you going to preach tomorrow?" He said, "I sure hope so," <laughs> and that's the way I feel tonight, this morning. I feel like in great need of the Lord's help as we try to look into God's Word. Turn to Genesis the thirteenth chapter, and let's begin reading in verse ten. Genesis chapter thirteen and verse ten. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, as like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. This morning, if the Lord will be our helper, I want us to look at the idea of a saved man's lost life. A saved man's lost life life. Now, if all we had about Lot was what we read in the book of Genesis, we might very legitimately come to the conclusion that Lot was not a child of God. Lot put out a pretty pitiful performance in his life. You know the story there. He starts out with Abraham. He ends up separating from him. And we're going to talk about some of this in the message, Lord willing. And he ultimately ends up in fear in a cave committing unspeakable sins with his own daughters. What a pitiful performance. What a, what a lost life Lot lived. So surely he must be in hell today. He must not be a child of God. You know, some of the, uh, those that are of our friends in the denominational world out there tell us if you don't persevere, you either 
are going to fall away. Some, some teach you're going to fall away from grace. You're going to fall out of the covenant of grace and go from being a child of God to, to no longer being a child of God. Others say, well, uh, if you do, if you do not persevere, you never were a child of God in the first place. And, and I want to say to you, I'm, I, I, I hope that's not the way it is. <laughs> I hope it's not because I got to confess to you this morning. I haven't been persevering very well today. Already on the Lord's Day, I'm already struggling with living a life that's victorious as opposed to one that's that, that's a lost life. I, I identify more with Lot this morning than I did yesterday when I was preparing this message. <laughs> Isn't that something? Isn't that amazing? I hope perseverance is not the key factor to being a child of God. Because if it is, I have no hope. I have no hope. Tell me the day, tell me the last day you truly persevered. Tell me, let's, let's talk, let's, let's sit down and let's make a list. You know, you, you, you committed, you committed fewer sins than the good works that you did. What day was that in your life? <laughs> Tell me because I've never had one of those days. <laughs> I've never had a day when I, you ever had a day when you were satisfied with yourself? Have you ever had a day when you, you look back on the day and say, I did pretty good today? <laughs> Now, you may have accomplished some things. You may have gotten some good things done. You may have done some really good works. But, you know, my problem is this. Even when I do a good work, even when I do a good thing, and we ought to do good things, but even when I do good things, as Paul said in the seventh chapter of Romans, sin is ever present with me. In other words, the struggle Paul had is a struggle I have. And the struggle that I have is not so much, you know, I'm, I'm not a... I don't have a problem with robbing banks. You know, anybody here got a problem with going out and committing armed robbery? I, I don't think you do. I don't know. I know most of you. I don't really have that problem. You know, that's not a thing that afflicts me. You know, um, uh, I don't have a problem with uh, carjacking people. I don't really have a problem with, with stealing from people. But you know what I do have a problem with? Coveting my neighbor's stuff. I have a problem with pride. I have a problem with self-focus. And you know, there's no big and little sins in the eternal game. Okay. There's no big and little sins in eternity. It's not, you know, if you're, if you're hope, if your hope is placed in the, in the, in some final judgment one day when you stand before God and he weighs out your good against your bad, then that's not very much of a hope for me. In fact, that's a fear for me. If that's the way it were going to be, I would have no hope. I would have no, uh, no ideas that I might have any shot at being in heaven. But praise God, it's not by works, it's by grace. It's by grace. Lot has no hope if it's based on a measuring out of all of his good works against his bad. But, but let, me, let me read you something over in Second Peter that might give us a little perspective here. You remember what I said the title of the sermon is? A saved man's lost life. You mean to tell me, preacher, you can be a child of God and live a lost life? I'm telling you that very thing because we see it here with light. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, Peter is writing about, uh, about God and how he spared, how he, how he judged the angels and how he sent wrath upon this world in Noah's day. And then he talks about in verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah and how he turned them into an overthrow and made an example to those. And then in verse 7 it says that he delivered just Lot. Now that doesn't mean only Lot. Sometimes we say he just delivered Lot. That's not what it's saying. 
He delivered just Lot. Lot was a just man. He didn't live a just life, did he? But he was justified. He was he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, in case we're wondering, <laughs> he was a righteous man. That righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You see, Lot was a child of God. We're told he was just. That, it, that means literally he was justified. That didn't mean he lived in a, in a, in a perfect way or in a way that was, uh, in any way looked like he was a child of God. As I said, if we left, if we, if we only knew about Lot, what we see in the book of Genesis, we'd say, there's no hope for Lot. <laughs> He's just some wicked reprobate that, uh, that, that just missed the mark. Well, listen, he did miss the mark, but praise God, Jesus Christ kept the mark. He hit the mark. He was perfect in his obedience. He was perfect in his, uh, in his compliance with the word of God. He fulfilled the law to a jot and to a tittle. The word, the word jot there refers to the Hebrew letter yod, which is the smallest little letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The, the tittle there that's talked about are those little wispy marks of pronunciation that are, that are put, that were added to the text of the Hebrew. In other words, every single thing that needed to be fulfilled, Jesus Christ fulfilled it. And he fulfilled it on behalf of his children and his righteousness has been imputed to us as his children. And it was imputed to this man named Lot who lived a pitiful life and pretty much lost his testimony. You see, Lot, someone asked, how did Lot, how in the world could Lot get to heaven? How could Lot get to heaven the same way you and I get to heaven? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you remember, you remember the old serpent? in the third chapter of Genesis, who came on the scene. And he began to tempt Eve. You know what he did? For, he began to question the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Now, I could easily, I could easily get sidetracked right here, so I'm going to try to just go on, okay? Because <laughs> uh, I don't have time to, to get to what I really want to preach on if I do that. But anyway, basically, he, he lied about what God said. God didn't say, uh, he said, Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. <clears throat> it's not what God said. It's not what God said. God said you need of every tree except this one. Satan focused on the negative just like I used to do when I was a young man in college at the University of Alabama. And I got to the, or, and even before that, when I got to age where I could drive and, 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 and I'd say, Mom and Daddy, I'm going to Tuscaloosa. And they'd say, Son, that's a big place. You can go everywhere you want to go over there. You go anywhere. There's, there's old Charlie's. There's KFC. There's, there's uh, even used to a place called The Landing. It was just a nice. You can go to all these, but there's one place you don't need to go. You, you can't go to the university strip over there because there's a bunch of bars and there's a bunch of eating establishments that aren't that, especially back then, they weren't that, <laughs> that great. So you can go everywhere but there. You know what I heard? You can't go to the strip. <laughs> That's what I heard, you know. I heard the negative side. That's not what mom and daddy said. They gave me all kinds of liberty, all kinds of freedom, all kinds of good gifts, just like God. God said, man, you see the peach tree over there? It, it's going to give its fruit to you. You're not even going to have to wait for it to get ripe. You see the pear tree? You see the apple tree? There may have been trees we don't know anything about that gave fruit for them, and they could eat of all those trees. They had the opportunity. But the devil, as the devil does, 
His name means slanderer, by the way. He comes in to slander God and say, God's trying to keep you from something that would be good for you. And he lies. He twists the word of God. And, this, and then he says this. He, abs, he completely contradicts the word of God. And this is what I want to get to. He says, Eve tells him, God says, in the day we eat thereof, we'll surely die. And that's what God said in, in chapter 2 of Genesis. In the day you eat thereof, there sh thou shalt surely die. You know what the serpent said? The serpent said, thou shalt not surely die. And I want to say to you this morning, beloved, there's only ever been two messages of salvation preached in the history of the world, whether it's Christian-based or whether it's some other philosophy, some other path of religion, whether it's Islam, whether it's uh, Confucianism, whether it's uh, Hinduism or Buddhism or just uh, any denominational world, uh, any teaching out of the denominational world out there, there's only ever been two teachings about salvation, about the nature of man, and about the way he can get to heaven. And one is, thou shalt surely die, and the other is, thou shalt not surely die. There's multiple places you can go this morning, and you can hear the message that, well, you're not really dead. You really can do something to save yourself. You really can make a choice. You really can live a life. You really can perform some act of service or, or some other, uh, pray, pray some prayer. There is really some, but beloved, God said, thou shalt surely die. And I believe God on that matter, beloved. He died. Adam died, not physically, but in the sense that he was separated from God. He died spiritually on the day he ate of the fruit. And because Adam died, he became uh, his, his, his progeny. All of those who have, the, their, have Adam as their father, which is all of us, were born dead in trespasses and in sins. You know what dead means? Means dead. <laughs> means dead. I'll give you an example. I have a basement in my house. My goodness, I got way off here. <laughs> Let's go. We'll go with the spirit instead of my studies. How about that? I have a basement in my house. And that's kind of my, my, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a man cave, but, you know, because the women always invade it too. They come down there. I've got a big screen TV. I've got a surround sound system down there. And, uh, from a fleshly standpoint, uh, I suppose there's not much better way to go than if I might be sitting down there one day and the Lord call me home while I'm watching, you know. So that's purely fleshly. I get it, purely fleshly. I'm just, but it's just, it's a pretty neat place. So, but let's just say I died in my basement. Let's say I'm down there one day and I died in my basement. Okay, this, what does dead mean? Okay, here's what dead means. You're, you're unable to function in the realm to which you're dead. You know, you know, when I die and I'm in a casket, you know, I have a fear of uh, of close in closed places. You know, I, I, the, the idea of being buried alive scares me to death. But but the idea of dying and being buried doesn't bother me at all because I'm dead to that. I have no sensation in the physical realm. OK, so let's say I died in my basement and 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 Sherry comes to the to the top of the stairs and said, hey, if you'll just ask me, I'll come down and get you. What, what's going to happen? Nothing. I'm dead. Okay. Maybe she says, hey, I've cooked your favorite dessert. I've cooked, and that's, by the way, that's in flux because now it's banana pudding that she cooks, but she used to cook this apple dessert. I still like it. I, we'll try it some. Let's do it together. <laughs> cook both of them. Anyway. <laughs> so she said, I've cooked your favorite dessert. If you cook, she could try to bribe me. Come on up and I'll give it to you. But I, what am I going to do? I'm dead. Nothing. She could threaten me. She could scare, try to scare me. The house is on fire. It's going to burn down around you. 
Uh, if you don't at least say something or at least get up and do something in order to be saved, what am I going to do? Nothing, because I'm dead to it. You see, that's what dead means physically, and that's what dead means spiritually. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says the natural man, that is the one who has never been born again, he's only been born in physically in nature, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the state of man in nature, without the benefit of having been born again, is that he does not receive the things of the of the spirit he does not hear with spiritual ears he has nothing to he has no inclination toward god and he's not able to 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 even seek god if he wanted to i heard it put this way by elder michael goins he's in such a we are in such a condition that we could not come to him if we would and we would not come to him if we could isn't that something that's where we are so what does that mean that means we have to be saved by an almighty God through his sovereign grace. And you know what he tells us he does? He says that Romans 8, 28 is not what we normally hear it taught, by the way. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. What things is he talking about? The things he's about to tell us in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, that's the sweet doctrine of election right there. Whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't you ever let anybody tell you there's a chosen few. It's a multitude that no man can number. It's a multitude that is from every, from every uh, kindred, nat nation, tongue, and tribe. And, it's, uh, and he says, whom he foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. That's the new birth right there. That's the Holy Spirit calling one. That's the one where we're told in uh, John, 525 I believe it is that uh, the hour is coming now is when they that are dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live that's the that's the voice of the son of God that speaks to his child in the new birth and causes him to be born again beloved that's the voice that I can't speak in I can tell you what Jesus says I can tell you his words but I can't speak in his voice and praise God it's the voice of the son of God because that's the voice that can speak to the child in the womb who's about to be aborted the child and the, the, the one who is deaf and dumb and, and mentally incapacitated, he can hear that voice in his heart, the voice of the Son of God that births every single one of his children. Whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. Whom he predestinated, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Praise God, without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, there'd be no hope. Jesus died for every single one of them. Every single one for all. He said, all that thou hast given me. He said, I paid for their sins. I've done that. And then I love this part. He says, whom he justified, them he also will glorify. Is that what he said? Will, no. <laughs> no. He Past tense. Them he also glorified. Now look, this, don't take any offense to this. Y'all don't look very glorified this morning. <laughs> but I don't mind saying that to you because I know I don't. I looked at myself in the mirror this morning before I combed my hair. And I know I don't look glorified. But in the mind and purpose of God, it's so certain that he can speak it as if it's already occurred. In that glory. See, this man, Lot, was a child of God. This man, Lot, was a saved man. And remember, the topic this morning is a saved man's lost life. So now let's turn to some, some sad facts.
facts of sad, the saddest portion of the sermon this morning. Let's look at the life of Lot. And I think you'll agree with me when we get done that this saved man, Lot, lived a lost life. Oh, he's in heaven today. We're told that by Peter. He's in heaven. But oh, what a lost life he lived. And you know what? That's a warning to all of us. You know, one of the unique things about Primitive Baptists, as I've already said, it, it, we talked about this perseverance. We, ought, we believe we ought to persevere, but we don't necessarily believe we will persevere. We ought to try. We should. Most of the people that believe in the doctrines of grace, many, many of the people that believe, other denominations that believe in the doctrines of grace, believe that you have to persevere and you will persevere if you ever were a child of God. We are almost unique among the denominations of the world in teaching that every single one of God's elect children will be in heaven, but they won't necessarily all live a life that reflects that. And see, that's the point of the scriptures that we ought to. He's telling us we need to follow him. We ought to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We ought to serve him. And that's the admonition this morning. Lot here had a lot of problems. Lot had a secure place after death, but Lot had a lot of problems in life. Lot had a devotion problem. Look, look with me back in chapter 13 here of Genesis. Look at verse 5. Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. If you turn over to the 19th chapter in the 30th verse, you'll find him cowering in fear in a cave with only his two daughters. What happened in the meantime? How did Lot go from flocks and herds and tents, great riches, so much so that he and Abraham had, had, a, had a conflict because the land wasn't big enough to hold them? It says in verse 6, the land was not able to bear them. Lot had as much stuff as Abraham did, just about. We can conclude here. And then over in the 19th chapter, he's cowering in fear in a cave, having lost everything. How did that happen? Did it happen? Did he go to bed one night and wake up as, as a millionaire and wake up the next morning as bankrupt? No. <clears throat> Beloved, in our lives, the road to shipwreck is a step by step by step process. Nobody went to sleep last night free of alcohol addiction and woke up this morning addicted to the substance or any other drug or any other kind of substance. It's a step-by-step. -step. So what happened? Well, Lot, Lot had a lot of problems. And here we see he had a devotion problem. It says, the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Now look and look at verse 7. There was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. I've heard this statement before that we fail in private long before we fail in public. Okay? We fail in private long before we fall in public. Lot was having some problems here. And I, I, I want to say this. One of the sad things about Lot's life is some of the blame we can place on Abraham. What are you talking about, preacher? I thought Abraham was the father of the faithful. He was. He was a friend of God. But Abraham had faults. If you go back into the last chapter, 
You're going to find that when a famine, you know, God told Abraham, you get out of your land over there, the land of Ur. You come into the place that I'm going to prom- I promise you, the promised land. You go there. But when the famine hit, what did he do? He did like a lot of us do. He left the promised land. He left the kingdom of God and he went down into Egypt. Now, I want to say to you, Egypt in the scriptures is almost always a type of the world and worldly thinking and worldly living. And Abraham goes down into Egypt instead of staying in the place where God had promised him that he would protect him. And who went with him? Lot. Lot went with him. And I want to tell you about Egypt now. Egypt is a glorious place from a worldly standpoint. Egypt was one of the greatest kingdoms of the world. It was the greatest kingdom of the world in that day. It had riches, it had, it had crops, it had fields, it had herds, it had all kinds of gold and silver and all the things that men uh, long after and lust for in this world. And we see that it affected Lot because over in verse 10, when he's, when he's evaluating his situation and trying to decide what to do, he looks down there at the plain there by Sodom and Gomorrah and he said it looked like Egypt. Lot was enamored of Egypt. Lot, and by the way, nothing good ever came out of Egypt, did it? You remember the little, the little Egyptian handmaid that, that Abraham brought back from Egypt? Hagar? Oh, what a, what a trouble she stirred up. When Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out, instead of waiting on God's timing, she said, you go in under my handmaid and you marry her and you have a child by her. And she had a child by her and his name was Ishmael. And if you look at the history of Ishmael, you'll see that he's the father of the Arab peoples. And what a, what a struggle there's always been between Arab and Israeli and just in general in the world. There's nothing good in Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. When the famine hits, and it will, it will hit. The famine always comes. Maybe it's a famine of fellowship. Maybe it's a famine of preaching. Maybe it's a famine of something else. I don't know what. Maybe it's a family problem. Maybe something. But don't go to Egypt. <laughs> Elimelech, I don't want to get off into that because that's a whole other message. Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, away from Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. There was a famine, and and Elimelech decided, I think it's a good idea to leave the house of bread in a famine and go to Moab, (laughs) right? (laughs) Isn't that something, you know, that doesn't really make, as somebody said, it doesn't make good nonsense. (laughs) I heard that one time. So he leaves the house of, of bread, he leaves Bethlehem, and he goes to Moab, and I'm sure he didn't mean to stay very long, but he ended up staying until he died, until his sons died. And, 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 and 10 years passed, and all that was left was Naomi and sweet little Ruth and her sister-in-law, Orpah. <laughs> Praise God, there's a good ending to that story that we may get back to before it's over with. But he left the kingdom of God. Don't, child of God, especially you young folks, but it applies to us older folks too. Don't, don't leave the kingdom of God because there's a famine. There is no place in the world that you will find, to, for, that you will find the rest that you will find in the kingdom Job had a devotion problem. He should have stayed there with Abraham. Abraham, what was, you, you read about Abraham, he was always building altars. You see everywhere, he went to Bethel, he built an altar. He went to these other places, he went to Mamre, he built an altar. He was always focused in the right way. Abraham's devotion was true. Abraham's devotion was, was, was sincere. But Lot, you don't ever read about him building an altar. He, he doesn't build any altars. He just, he pitches his tent towards Sodom.
He had a devotion problem, and then he had a vision problem. He had a vision problem. Look at verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld. <clears throat> if you go back to the third chapter of Genesis sometime, in the sixth verse, you're going to read about what happens when Eve lays her eyes on the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. She saw the tree. She saw that it was a tree that was good for fruit. It looked good. And she saw that it could make you wise. Did you under, do you know that all sin began with a little look? And I'll say this today. Most sin in my life, and you can probably say the same in yours, begins with a little look. Men today still get in trouble with their eyes. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. See, that's why I come back to all the good things I've done, all the great charitable deeds I've done in my life. Oh, boy, Brother Chris, give me a list of them. Let me, let me pile them up for me here. What have you got, Brother Chris? Show me what you've got with all your righteous acts. I'll tell you what I got. Isaiah tells us if I got a pile of filthy rags. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You know why? It's not because the things we did aren't good. It's because we who do them aren't good. <laughs> we aren't good. You see, we have, I, every, every time I've, I, I, I can remember years, <laughs> years ago uh, when I was out with some friends, I probably told you all this before, and uh, I was about 18, 19 years old. It's four, five or six of us, and this guy came up to us with a card that said, I'm deaf uh, and, and mute. And, and I, you know, asking for donations. They just walked on past, you know. Well, hey, I pulled out my uh, my wallet. And, I, you know, I, I tell everybody now it's $20. I think it might have been 10 It's been growing through the years, you know, <laughs> in my mind anyway. Whatever it was, it was, you know. So, so I gave him the money, and I could not wait to catch up with my friends so I could tell them about it. <laughs> you know, I was proud. I was so proud of what I did. And, and you know what else? I got my reward there. <laughs> I got my reward there. You see, the problem was not what I did. That was a good thing. But the way I did it and the, and the very thought, the motive behind it was tainted with sin. There's nothing that I can do. That's why Paul says in the book of uh, Romans, the seventh chapter, he says, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. So you can do good things, but you do them for the wrong reason. And God, Jesus said it's a heart problem, not a hand problem. It's not what you do. It's what's in your heart. And eyes, the eyes get us into trouble. Look what, look what Lot did. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan. Now listen to the logic here. Is that you can't argue with him. It was well watered everywhere. The, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, it looked like the garden of Eden down there. Like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. <laughs> He was seeing the things that were there in the world, and those things were enticing to him. And logically speaking, he made the right choice. You, you look down here on the one hand, you've got the, the lush green pasture land, and up here on the hillsides, you've got some rolling hills and some barren places. And why would you choose that? You know, make the right decision, Lot, reason it out. And he did with his eye. But he, the problem is he had a vision problem. 1 John 2.16 says that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. 
The devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And Jesus looked upon them. But praise God, our Jesus wasn't enticed by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He just quoted him scripture and said, go on your way. <laughs> but you see, the devil always tries to lead us that way. And, you know, if we're not careful, we can have a vision problem, too. We can be just like him. I've made many decisions in my life based on weighing the pros and cons. And God gave us a mind to do that. There's no question. Sometimes that's, that's part, you know, if you're going <laughs> to, you know, you're going to eat at Harvey's, Harvey's, or you're going to eat at Arby's, or you're going to eat at some other place, just weigh it out, what you want. But when it comes to those big decisions of life, we need to understand we don't walk by sight, but we walk by faith. Joe uh, Lot had a vision problem. Lot also had a separation problem. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. The Bible teaches us we're to be separate. We're to be separate from the world. We're to come out from among them. That's not the kind of separation I'm talking about. If Lot had had that, had had that focus, then he never would have separated himself from Abraham. But notice what he did. He separated from the right place and he settled in the wrong place. He had a separation problem. He, he left the kingdom of God where he'd been. Remember, God had promised Abraham, you are going to be my friend. You're going to be the one that, that, through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm giving you this land. Lot should have, you know, what, what should he have done? All the problems between his herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. If there hadn't been any pride involved, Lot could have gone up to Abraham and said, man, I am so sorry. I'm going to get them in line. Uncle Abraham, I'm with you because God's with you. But I know what Lot's thinking. Lot's thinking, I can do just as well. Or I can even do better. Maybe he's thinking, I'm being held back. <laughs> I'm being held back. You ever feel that way, young folks, about your parents? I'm being held back, you know. They're just not letting me be me. They're not letting me find myself, you know. No. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, when you find yourself, you're not going to like yourself, okay? Because we don't like that part of you. <laughs> Seriously, that, that part of you that, that, that is the real you, you see, is that part that's tainted by sin. Now, I'm not talking about the spirit. I'm not talking about the spiritual, that new creation. But I'm talking about the way the world looks at it. You're holding me back. But he left the kingdom. He left the right place and he settled in the wrong place. Beloved, we need the kingdom of God. We need to be. this. As the world looks at it, this is a wonderful crowd. This is a beautiful. I love the, the number of people that are here. But we all know there are places you could go this morning that have thousands of people. They have, if not thousands, hundreds at least of people. There's a lot. You drive by a place like this and, and, and maybe you stick your head in and you're not familiar with the primitive battery. Say, well, where's the organ? Where's the choir? Where's the, where's the Sunday school? It's, it just doesn't seem like there's anything here to attract anyone. You know, the woman at the well told, told Jesus, sir, uh, the well is deep and thou hast nothing to draw with. How are you going to give me this water? Well, beloved, that's the way the world looks at it sometimes when they come to a worship service like this. They say, look, what is there to draw us? Well, beloved, the gospel of the grace of God draws us. The true gospel that Jesus Christ saved his people from their sins. That when he came here, he didn't come to, to try and he didn't come to make an effort at it. He didn't make a good stab at it. He completed the work. He did that which he was sent to do. And praise God, he's going to have every single one of his children with him. That draws me. 
But I realize there's, there's enticements out there. There's other places. There's basketball courts. There's, there's golf games that you could be at today. There's places out in the world. But we need the kingdom of God. Psalm 48. I love that psalm. 12th verse says, walk about Zion. And Zion here referring to the place where God has given his presence and in the place of true worship. Walk about Zion. Go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following. What's he talking about there? Well, think about this. He's describing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has towers. It has towers. What's a tower for in a castle? It's to elevate you to where you can see farther. Your vision is greater at the top of the tower than it is at the base. And you can see the enemy coming from farther away in the tower. What's a bulwark? A bulwark is a, a wall. It's a defensive position. It's a place to keep out the enemy. If you're behind the walls of the castle or behind the walls of the fort, you're in pretty good shape. What about the palaces? The palaces are the places where the king's family dwells, where the king's family eats and dines and fellowships and rests. That's our kingdom. That's our Zion. That's Vestavia Primitive Baptist Church. That's, that's the kingdom of God. Don't leave the kingdom. You know, I, I've said this. I think I've shared this with you here. But it always kind of gets the point across to me. I used to love the, the show Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone was one of my favorite shows growing up, you know. And, and you know, I don't remember all the episodes, but just about every episode, or most episodes, had something to do with, with the Creek Indians rising and the word going out to all the farmers and all the little houses and the little, uh, the, the little, uh, uh, places where they're growing their crops saying, come into the fort, come into the fort because uh, the Indians are going to get you if not. And, and, and so without <laughs> always, it always worked this way. Somebody didn't, you know, somebody, everybody comes running into the fort. They go, well, where's old farmer so-and-so? Well, he was too stubborn. He decided to stay out there. He said, I can take care of myself. Guess what had to happen? Daniel Boone had to go out and save him, right? <laughs> Daniel Boone had to go out there and had to get him and had to fight the Indians, had to bring him back in because he didn't seek the safety of the fort. Well, I want to say to you this morning, beloved, you and I are no Daniel Boone. Okay, get in the fort. You can't go it alone out there. You need to be in the fort, in the kingdom, behind the walls, dwelling in the palaces, looking with your extended vision out there to see what's going on in the world. But a lot. He left out and he went out there on his own. And you know, it's really like this a little bit. It's kind of like a herd dynamic. If you ever watch the National Geographic channel and you see the, I like those about the lions and the, you know, the, pre, the predators, they don't ever go jumping. You know, you don't see a, a lion, <clears throat> uh, you know, jump off of a cliff into the middle of 400 wildebeest, you know, I mean, because that'd be dangerous for the lion, for one thing. What, what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't go attack the ones that are in the herd. He waits till he sees one that's lagging behind or, or one that's a little too independent out there by himself. And that's the one that he goes after. And that's usually the one that becomes dinner for the lions. <laughs> Our adversary, the devil, is like a lion. He's a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. If he can cut you out from the herd, Oh, he's gone a long ways toward destroying your life. 
can't take you for eternity, but he can take you here and now. Lot had a separation problem. Lot also, as a result of all these decisions, had a sin problem. Had a sin problem. Look at verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And that sounds all well and good up to this point because it was lush and well-watered and looked like Egypt and looked like Eden. But, see, there's a big problem here. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. As I said, he separated from the right place and he settled in the wrong place. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now, here's the problem. You say, well, at least he wasn't in Sodom. The problem with sin is it doesn't stay static. You remember that Goliath, the, the great giant there that, that, that challenged the kingdom, the, the children of God? You know, it, it starts out he's in the valley. He's, he's in the valley of Elah. He'd go down from his side and he'd march back and forth there. And then there's a, there's a verse later on in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that says, uh, the question is asked, who is, this, who is this wicked man who has come up? You know what that tells me? He's moving up. He's coming up the hill a little bit. He's not just, sin doesn't stay in the valley. Sin doesn't stay static. Sin progresses. And, and, and the old saying is so true. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. In the, in the 13th chapter here, in the 12th verse, he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He wasn't initially in Sodom, but over in the 14th chapter, you're going to find that when those, those kings come along and attack Sodom and Abraham has to go save Lot, uh, Lot is dwelling in Sodom. He's not, he's gone from pitching his tent toward Sodom to, uh, to dwelling in Sodom. And I want to, I want to tell you, beloved, uh, I don't know whether, I don't know whether he moved or, or, or Sodom moved, but I'll tell you this, Sodom will move to you if you pitch your tent too, too close to it. I don't know if it came out and encircled the suburbs or what, but by then he's dwelling in Sodom. And finally, in the 19th chapter, when the destruction finally comes, we read that he's sitting, sitting in the gate of Sodom. And that means more than just standing there where you go in and out. That means he was on the city council. He was in leadership. He had, he had risen up in the land of Sodom. You see, sin will take you farther. He probably never intended to be that involved, to be that entangled with Sodom. But sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go, and sin will keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. <laughs> you know, we see, we see him there that he stayed through a war that was lost, and his, his uncle Abraham had to come rescue him. I find that amazing, by the way. Don't you, wouldn't you rather be the Abraham than the Lot? You know what Abraham, who was close to God, who had fellowship with God, you know what he was able to do? He was able to save his nephew. He was able to save the ones that were living lost lives. He was able to save the one that was out there away from God. You don't ever find God speaking to Lot. You find God talking to Abraham all the time. You know why? Because Abraham was devoted to God. Lot was out here pitching his tent towards Sodom and trying to live like the world. I'm sure he never intended to be assimilated by the culture of Sodom. But like I said, by the time the destruction comes, he's a city councilman. He's sitting in the gate. That means he's a judge there. And you know, I'm not even going to go into this, but you read the 19th chapter sometime. And there comes a point where the men of Sodom come to his house after the angels come in and they're dwelling with him. And, and Lot is trying to protect them as if they needed protecting, but he, that's how far off he had gotten. 
He offers a compromise that is the most ungodly compromise that you'll ever read about. He offered to send his daughters out there for them to abuse. That's how far off of the narrow way Lot had gotten. <clears throat> Sin will cost you more than you ever thought you'd pay. You don't believe me, ask David sometime. I'm sure if David, if you talk to him on the morning after he had gone into Bathsheba, say, David, what, what do you, where do you think this is going? He, oh, man, it's just a one-night stand. Just a one-night stand. You know, you know the rest of that story. The sword never left David's house after that. The baby that was conceived died. He lost four of his sons. Troubles never left him. Sin will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. Lot here, his possessions. Remember what he said? He had flocks and herds and tents. He had possessions. He had position. He had influence. He had his family. And he lost all of his family but two daughters. He even lost his life because nobody would listen to him because he had lost his righteous testimony. And more than that, he had lost fellowship with God. We're not told, as I said, where God ever spoke to him. And he dealt directly with Abraham. He talked with Abraham. Listen, that doesn't mean Lot's going to hell. That just means Lot is living in a way that God is not interested in having fellowship with him. You know, we, we, we talk a lot in the Primitive Baptist Church about sonship and discipleship. There's a big difference. A relationship versus fellowship. You know, your relation, my, my father was my father all of his life and all my life. I'm still his son. But I, and we had sweet fellowship, but we could have lived, I could have lived in a way that would have broken that fellowship. He still would have been my father. The prodigal son's father was always his father. The story of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son going down to the pig pen and getting born again. He was already a born again. He was already born to that father. He was already his son. It's a story of a, of a saved man living a lost life. <laughs> but praise God in the prodigal son's situation, he's restored. <laughs> he's restored to fellowship. But here we see Lot had no fellowship with God. And ultimately, you remember what we read in Second Peter over there? We're told that that dwelling among Sodom caused him to vex his righteous soul from day to day. I don't know about you, but living in the world as I do, especially doing the job that Judge Cole and I do, my soul is vexed from day to day. I read about cases where children are abused, where children are murdered, where people are raped and robbed and and all kinds of terrible things. And I read about those, and that vexes my soul. And that's why I need to come back to the kingdom of God. See, my soul's not vexed right now. My soul's uplifted right now. I'm vexed over my good friend who's dying of COVID. That vexes me. But when I come back to the kingdom of God, I'm reminded that, uh, that he is about to see something that I long to see. He's about to see the one who died for him. He's about to see the God who sent his only son to die and to, and to suffer in ways we can never suffer. And as much suffering as Brother Jake has endured, it'll never touch that which Christ endured on the cross. See, I'm not vexed about that. Right? I'll be vexed when we leave. I'll shed tears when I get the news, 
I'll shed tears. And you will too when these things occur. But I'm not vexed right now, brother. <laughs> I'm rejoicing. Uh, you know why? Because I'm in the tower of the kingdom. I'm behind the bulwarks of the kingdom. I'm, I'm resting in the palace of the kingdom of God. Just like Abraham. And I hurt for Lot. I hurt for Lot. Because Lot made a decision that many people make. And he made it with well-reasoned well and logical. The problem was God wasn't in it. He walked by sight, not by faith. Child of God, this morning as we bring this to a close, let me just implore you, don't walk by sight. The world tells you, follow your heart, right? <laughs> follow your heart. Well, Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're told that uh, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. How do I know the difference, preacher? How do I know the difference? Don't separate yourself from the kingdom of God. Don't leave. You're a, as a saved, born again child of God. Don't leave the kingdom to live a lost life. But I want to leave you with this. I just want, I just want to reemphasize just how much grace overpowers all things that occur in this life. I, I, want you to, I want you to think with me about this. Lot's life. His life was bookended by grace. He started out with the friend of God. He, he lost his witness. He lived a lost life. He ended up in fear, committing unspeakable acts in a cave. And yet he was a righteous man. And the day he died... The day he died was the best day of his life. He may have had some high points in his life, but, but even Abraham had high, higher points than that. <laughs> but the day they passed and were gathered to their fathers, as we're told of Abraham, that day was the best day of his life. And something glorious. But you remember we mentioned that sweet little story about Ruth, Ruth and Naomi. Read the book of Ruth sometime. Read the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis. In the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis, you'll find that as a result of relations that Lot had with his, one of his daughters, the nation of Moab was born. What a wicked nation. What a pagan nation. If you read about what happened in Moab, they murdered their children. They sacrificed them to the god Molech. They were pagan worshipers. They, they were not part of the true kingdom of God, but yet there was a little sweet mother in Israel, ultimately, named Ruth. Who was a Moabitess? Who was a, God? You see, the grace of God can even reach to the Moabites. The grace of God can even reach to Lot. The grace of God can even reach to those who have never heard the gospel of the grace of God. It can reach to wherever you find a, a, a nation or a kindred or a tribe or a people. There are children of God there. The grace of God can even reach me. In you. Isn't that glorious? Maybe, maybe like me, there have been times in my life I've pitched my tent towards Sodom. <laughs> There's times I feel like I've lived in Sodom. Are you living in Sodom? Have you pitched your tent towards Sodom? There's an answer. <laughs> Flee. Flee back to the kingdom of God. It's not going to save you for eternity. 
God had to do that. He had to send his son to do that. But coming back to the kingdom of God will save you from this untoward or crooked generation. You and I, as saved children of God, ought not live lost lives like Lot. Come back to the kingdom. I pray that this has been helpful to you in some way.